Thank you for listening to this sermon from Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the teaching of Dr. David Rogers, lead pastor of Arapahoe Road. For more information about our church and its ministries, please visit arapahoeroad.org. And now, here's Pastor David Rogers. One of the things I love doing with my kids when they were little was taking them to the playground. Anybody remember going to the playground when you were uh, maybe in a different season of life? Maybe you're in that season. You're like, yeah, I was there last night. It was awesome. Uh, man, I, I loved going to the playground with my kids. And I think one of the reasons I love taking my kids to the playground is because I loved going to the playground when I was uh, a little kid growing up. I particularly enjoyed going uh, with my brother. My brother, I've got a brother and a sister. I'm the oldest and, uh, and three kids. And I uh, really liked going with Andy because Andy and I were just three years apart. I liked going with Sarah too, but then it was more making sure that she didn't get hurt and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, doing what big, big brothers do. Uh, but when I'd go with Andy and, and man, we'd have fun. We'd have so much fun out there. We'd have, I always find a slide. We'd have a great time on the slide and sliding down the slide and always some kind of game going on the slide there. And uh, we'd move to the merry-go-round. Anybody remember these? Yeah, that's death waiting to happen. Uh, that's, a, that's a stitch right there coming. Uh, we loved going on the merry-go-round, spinning on the merry-go-round, oftentimes enhancing the experience of the merry-go-round by um, kind of hooking our feet right in here, laying down on our backs with our head off of the merry-go-round because that was safe. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that we always enjoyed doing was getting on one of these guys right here. Seesaw or teeter-totter. I'm going to refer to it as the teeter-totter this morning, okay? Lots of shenanigans on the teeter-totter. Lots of sword fighting on the teeter-totter while you're working your way up and back down. And, and then sometimes, you, you know, you just try to balance, you know, and get it real still there. And then, of course, you know, getting down here and up here, you know what happens if, if, you, get up, if you get up here, you get them up there. And if you slide off real fast, what happens? Yeah, it's this thing called gravity. Wham! And, you know, you try to bounce them off real hard. And so, you know, that, I mean, that's love, right? <laughs> that's great brotherly love at its finest on the teeter-totter. And as we're continuing in our series this morning, Ancient Prayers for a New Year, this image of the teeter-totter that we saw a second ago, that, that image um, just kept coming back to my mind uh, as I studied this prayer that uh, King Solomon prayed. It's recorded over in 1 Kings chapter 3. I invite you to take your Bible and open it up to 1 Kings chapter 3 with me. We'll take a closer look at this prayer that King Solomon prayed with God. and it, it's, it's like they're on a teeter-totter. We'll just call it a prayer teeter-totter, okay? And it's just kind of this back and forth on this prayer teeter-totter. Now, they're not trying to bounce one another off or fight with swords like my brother and I, but there's, there's in a sense, this, this, this rhythm of two individuals going back and forth, balancing back and forth in this slice of their relationship with one another. And it's articulated in this prayer. As you're finding 1 Kings 3, I'll remind you that, man, I'm so indebted to a, a brilliant Old Testament scholar and theologian, Dr. Walter Brueggemann. Uh, his work called Great Prayers of the Old Testament, uh, his writings, his words, his insights have been so instrumental to me, have been really the foundation for this series. Lots of the words I'm using are direct quotes from him. So 
if you read his book and then you listen to my sermon, you're like, hey, you're saying this thing. Yes, because he's got some things to say, and it's been incredibly helpful for me, and I hope that it has been for you too as we're trying to learn together and equip ourselves and become uh, better in our own prayer lives. And before we take this closer look at a prayer that Solomon prayed to God and how, how God and, and Solomon responded to one another, uh, let's remind ourselves who was Solomon? Who was this man known as Solomon? So Solomon was the son of King David, okay? And, and his mother's name was Bathsheba. So Solomon is in line to take over as the king from his father, David. And in 1 Kings, the book of 1 Kings, uh, is, is this transition of power as King David dies in about 970 B.C., and then the reign of Solomon as king begins. We see that transition of power happening in chapters 1 and chapters 2. And then we get into chapter 3 and we pick it up in verse 3. Let's read verses 3 through 5 here for a moment. So Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. And for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. So he climbs on the teeter-totter in a dream. And, and, and he invites Solomon to play. He invites him into this prayer time. That this dream is a conversation with God. That, that's what prayer is. It's a conversation with God. And we will see that it is a bold practice of prayer in which Solomon meets a genuine and a serious prayer partner on the other end of the prayer teeter-totter, God. And when both God and Solomon are on the prayer teeter-totter, God's going to push off first. Okay, He pushes off first, and then we're going to see Solomon push off in response, followed by a final push-off by God. And in verse 5, we see, we see God speaking kind of tersely and abruptly and inviting Solomon to push off in response to asking for something. Look again at verse 5. Here's the first push off in the prayer. Ask what I shall give you, God says. He pushes off on the prayer teeter-totter with Solomon. Now, Dr. Brueggemann reminds us that, that here's this divine uh, invitation, this offer, and it's open-ended, has no limits to it. This is the God who has loved Solomon from his birth, ready now to endow him with all that's needed for governance. Boy, that's appropriate for today, is it not? <laughs> that God would give someone in a ruling position 
what he needs to rule well. See, the very first time that we meet Solomon is a few chapters back. You don't have to turn there. It's on the screen. 2 Samuel 12, it says this. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. 2 Samuel 12, verses 24 to 25. So it's interesting here. Jedidiah is actually a nickname for Solomon. Jedidiah means loved by God. Loved by God. So from Solomon's birth, we, we just read specifically that Solomon was loved by God in a, in a special kind of way. I mean, God loves everyone, but here it says he loves Solomon in a, in, a, in a different kind of way, a special kind of way. And so now, now this love by God for Solomon, the new king of Israel, is being initiated to Solomon through this dream that he has, okay? And Solomon is going to accept this invitation to play along, to, to get on the teeter-totter of prayer in his dream and to push off in response to God's initial invitation. Ask what I shall give you, in verse 5. Ask what you want. Ask what you want me to do for you, is what God is saying to Solomon. And so Solomon is about to push off, okay? He's going to push off in response. He's got one shot here in this prayer. Look at his response in verses 6 through 9. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O oh Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. Wow. So, so Solomon, he's invited by God to ask whatever he wants from God. But he doesn't actually get around to the asking until verse 9 there. Did you notice that? Before that, Brueggemann notes that, that Solomon stylizes a prayer that includes several components of prayer that we actually looked at last week when we were looking at the prayer of David, Solomon's dad. And we see in this prayer of David and we see now in this prayer of Solomon those components of praise and deference. Praise and deference. We see that being prayed here in Solomon's prayer, just like we did in David's prayer. The opening of Solomon's prayer 
when he pushes off on the prayer teeter-totter is, is what? It's a celebration. It's a confirmation. It's praise in God's abiding faithfulness to David, to his dad. The beginning of his prayer is an acknowledgement to God in praise of God's steadfast love to his dad. Look again in verse 6. Look at it with me. Solomon prays, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father. Underline that phrase, steadfast love. Steadfast love. That's an important phrase. Dawn Baker uh, shared about this when she was sharing a few weeks ago out of Jeremiah about the steadfast love of God. That word for steadfast love in the Hebrew is a really, really important word. It's the word hesed. Hesed. It means an unbreakable covenant love that is loyal forever and ever, no matter what. Hesed is an oath that is stronger and more secure than anything that you can imagine. So you have probably been like me, and you've probably been seeing some incredible things written about the Ukrainian president, President Zelensky. Yes, have you seen this? And, and how he's saying, we are here. We're with you. I'm not going anywhere. Why? Because he loves his people. He's like... If you're here, I'm here. I'm going nowhere. I'm for you. I'm with you. That pales in comparison to the steadfast love of God. (laughs) Ramp that up. Amp that up. So, so, so far that you can't even see it. That's God's love. And yet it's pretty darn impressive. What's coming out of Ukraine from the president, yes? Am I going, yeah, wow, man, that's a hero. My goodness. That word for steadfast love, hesed, hesed, covenant love. And so Solomon is praising God for his steadfast love, his covenant love. The oathing of himself to his dad. When his dad was the king and all throughout his dad's life, David. And it is the hesed, the steadfast love between God and David that was the primary point in the oracle or the promise that God gave to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We looked at that last week. In in verse 16, remember what it says? He says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. What's God doing there in verse 16 to David? He's oathing himself to David, to King David. He's making a promise to David, and the promise is based on chesed, the covenant love, the steadfast love. And the promise is, you're going to have a dynasty, David. You're going to have a legacy, David. You're going to have a kingdom, David, that would go on and on and on throughout the generations. That is a really big promise. And now we see here in 1 Kings 3, God keeping his promise, his oath to David's lineage. We now have 
King Solomon. And so verse 6 here, it ends with an acknowledgement that Solomon's own role as the next king is a powerful song of divine faithfulness to David for that oracle, that promise back in 2 Samuel 7. In verse 12, if you, if you remember, God had promised David a son, an heir. Do you remember what he said? When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring. Who's he talking about there? Solomon. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And so now here he is. Here's Solomon. And Solomon now, he presents himself in this role of that acknowledgement that is expressing both gratitude to God and, and, and the entitlement that God's given him. The promise. He's like, here I am. And then in verse 7, we see a familiar phrase that we looked at last week in David's prayer. We see it in Solomon's prayer now. Look at verse 3 in 1 Kings 3. 1 Kings 3, verse 7. Verse 7. And now, underline that phrase, and now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or to come in. See that phrase, and now? And now, three different times last week we looked at it in David's prayer. Now, and now, his son is praying the same way that his the dear old dad prayed. And now, the and now, that moves the prayer forward. It moves the prayer beyond the memory of his father, David, and now into the present circumstances that Solomon finds himself in. And he addresses God, did you see that? As, O oh Lord, my God. O oh Lord, my God. Not just Dad's God, but O oh Lord, my God. My God, this term in the Hebrew is this majestic recognition of God with this possessive pronoun that connects God to Solomon. Oh Lord, my God. You're my God. You're the God I'm praying to. You're, you're the God on the other end of the teeter-totter that, that's invited me to play with you and to pray to you and so he's connecting here this relational connection between himself and God and this this part of the prayer is is articulating Solomon's humility and his modesty his deference to God much like dear old dad did think about something for a second dads your kids are going to model what they hear and see from you Good, bad, and ugly. <laughs> Mom, same thing. Same thing. Uh, uh, again, let's go back to what we've seen on the news. Why do you think there is so much steadfastness, a digging in of the Ukrainian people, the valor, the courage, the fight? It's because that's what they're seeing, quote-unquote, dad do. President Zelensky, we are here. 
We don't need a rod. We need ammunition. Anybody see that quote? Did that kind of just make you hit your pants a little bit there and go, wow. I don't know what all he believes about Jesus, but that's a leader. Mm. We, we do what we see our dad do, our mom do, the one over us in authority do, yeah? That's why you see all those people digging in. That's why you see all those images of moms and grandmothers and young women. All right, I got my gun. They're digging in because that's what they see their leader doing. That's what they see their leader doing. Again, dads, moms, your kids are going to model what they hear and what they see from you. Whatever that may be, good, bad, or indifferent. And so Solomon learned to pray by listening and watching his dad pray. So just think for a second, what are your kids, what are your grandkids learning from you? How is the way you pray affecting their lineage? Because it's happening whether you realize it or not. So let me encourage you this morning. Don't feel bad about how much maybe you haven't prayed. Let me invite you to get on the the, the entrance ramp here and let's ramp up our prayers, yes? Yeah, forget the past. (laughs) It's under the blood. Receive his love and power. Enter the battle. Come on back. You know, I, mean, I, don't even know, I don't even know what to pray. Here's what I begin to pray for my kids because I heard one of my mentors praying it over his, and I'm like, I'm praying that. God, may my kids experience all that's in your heart for them. God's got stuff in his heart for your kids. And don't you want to see him experience it? I do. So it's not because I'm not asking if they don't experience it. God, let my kids experience all that's in your heart for them. Just pray that this week and see what begins to happen. And let them hear you pray it over them. Text it to them if they're not in your house. Man, I'm praying this over you this week. Just see what happens. Solomon. Solomon tells God, God, I'm only a little kid. I feel like a little kid. He's a grown man, but he feels like a little kid. Have you ever done that? You're a fully mature, grown person, and yet you feel like you're a little kid. (laughs) That's what Solomon's praying here. Not age necessarily, but maturity. And, 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 and he's like, I'm at the tip of the spear now. I'm not really sure what to do here. <laughs> More than that, Solomon just confesses. He lacks competence to do the things that kings are expected to do. Perhaps alluding to the king's primary responsibilities as a military leader. And as a judge, too bad the Bible's not relevant, right? I wrote this message weeks ago, before the Olympics. Isn't it interesting, God's timing? Preach this today. Wow. 
Holy Spirit always knows what's coming, doesn't he? So, so what we hear in this part of Solomon's prayer is how Solomon places himself in this position of dependence on God, need before God, this, this self-characterization that, that situates himself in a readiness posture to receive immense gifts from God. So, so as God is generous in offering and in pushing off on the teeter-totter of prayer, Solomon now is needful and receptive as he pushes off in his response, but he's not done with the full push yet. Solomon's about to go for the great big ask in this prayer. His his prayer feet haven't fully left the ground yet on the teeter-totter. Verse 8 we see Solomon articulating a, a statement of dependence followed by this recognition of the demanding complexity of his responsibility as king. Look at verse 8. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So, so Solomon's reminding God, God, you put me in this position, you know. As if God's going, really? You put me here. So if you're inviting me to ask you, God, here it comes. Get ready. It's as though verses 6 through 8 are the parts of the prayer that have just kind of helped prepare the way for the petition. The, creating a, a situation of need and dependence so that God has to be persuaded now to be generous. <laughs> Who invited Solomon into the prayer to begin with? It was God. He doesn't need to be persuaded, but Solomon's going, just in case... <laughs> And so Solomon is about to make his ask. And it's really not anything for himself. His prayer is about being equipped to be a good king. Look at verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? Solomon asked for wisdom. He asked for wisdom. He's focused on his responsibility. He asks nothing for himself, just that he receives from God what it takes to fulfill his role as a legacy king really well and with wisdom. You want to know how God wants you to pray this week for world leaders? Pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Again, if you weren't an expert in foreign affairs five days ago, chances are your opinions probably haven't been shaped fully in five days worth of the news. So put your hand over your mouth and fall to your knees and ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. We need more prayers and less influencers. Pray. Pray for wisdom. Dr. Brueggemann points out that Solomon's single request in prayer is, is properly framed. He identifies 
himself to God as your servant. And he acknowledges that his task is for your great people. Did you notice that? Your servant, your great people. The request is that, God, I want to serve you well. That's what he's praying. I want to serve you well. Nothing of I or me, only your servant, your great people. The work of the king is that the rule of God should be effective among God's people. And Solomon asks, look here again in verse 9, he asks for an understanding mind. Do you see that there? An understanding mind. That phrase can also be translated like this, a listening heart. Would you say that with me? A listening heart. The, the heart in the Old Testament, and in Old Testament discernment, is the location of decision making. It can, it, it can be uh, thoughtful, but also passionate. And Solomon is asking for a well-equipped heart, a well-equipped mind for right and for wise decision making. He wants to be a good king who listens to his people and who listens to his God and who leads them away from evil and toward what is good. That's a worthy and ancient prayer to pray in this new year, yes? Yeah, absolutely. God, give our leaders a listening heart. God, give me a listening heart. Give me a listening heart. Give me an understanding mind that listens to those around me who I'm responsible for, who I'm accountable to, both my family and my God, and help me lead a life that leads others, that leads myself away from evil and toward what is good. That's a great ancient prayer to pray throughout this new year. And I love the, I love the prayer that Solomon prays as he pushes off on the prayer teeter-totter that we just looked at. And then look how God responds. He wraps up with this second and final push-off in his response. Verses 10 through 14. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, it's always good when there's a behold there. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. But God doesn't end there in verse 12, does he? No, he keeps going in verse 13. Watch this. I give you also... What you've not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And, it, and if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Wow. So God commends Solomon for what he asked for in prayer. And for what he doesn't ask for in prayer. 
He commends him what he asks for and for what he doesn't ask for. See, he asked for the power to discern rightly. He didn't ask things that a conventional king might ask for. Things like long life, riches, victory. And Dr. Brueggemann notes that Solomon exercised remarkable restraint. Can you imagine if God asked you, ask whatever you want from me? Oh boy. Where are we going first? Solomon exercises great restraint. And God responds in generosity that matches the royal restraint. And then some. In other words, you can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. It's in God's nature and in his character to lavish on his kids good gifts, especially the ones that he can trust with more and more. Let me just ask you a question to think about. Can God trust you with more? Can he, can he trust you with any more than he's already given you? You go, well, how, how, could, how do I know? Well, are you already doing what he's asked you to do? Are you obedient to the point that God looks and goes, oh yeah. what Jesus was talking about. He who's faithful, she who's faithful with a little bit can be trusted with more. As, as, I, as I read this, as I read this, you know, you know where my mind went? It goes back to Jesus. It goes back to Jesus a lot of times because the theme of Jesus is all throughout the Bible. And what did Jesus say in his Sermon on the Mount? In Matthew 6, he says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Isn't that what we see God doing to Solomon? <laughs> yep. I want to be great for you, God. Give me wisdom so I can be great for your people. Okay, and let me just top you off. Wow. All these other things are added unto him. Dr. Brueggemann notes where there is passion for God's kingdom and God's righteousness. All these other things will be yours as well. They have to be. Why? Because that's what Jesus promised. <laughs> Don't you think he wants to come through on what he's promised for you? Yeah, it's not a trick question. God's generosity is well beyond human need or human asking because God wills for those who pray an abundance of well-being that can only come from God's hand and God's gift. The Father God to whom Solomon prays. It's not a, not, not a, a father who gives a stone or a snake as Jesus goes on to talk about in the Sermon on the Mount. But like any generous parent, God's one who gives bread, who gives the fish, who gives all we need 
and then some. But please don't miss what God says to Solomon in verse 14 with a a little letter. It's a little two-letter word at the beginning. Do you see that in verse 14? And what? If, underline that. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then, then I will lengthen your days. See, everything depends here upon obedience to keeping God's word. So that the wonder and the generosity and the abundance of prayer are kept fully within this framework of this covenantal relationship in which obedience to God's will is the premise of the relationship. That's what we see here. The God to whom Solomon and Israel and the church prays is not some sugar daddy God who's just going to respond to a wish list. The transaction of prayer that's modeled here in 1 Kings chapter 3 is between covenantal partners that are in a relationship with one another. Who live this continuing history of commitment to one another and mutual deference to one another. I'm for you. I'm for you. I'm for you. Isn't that what a marriage is supposed to be like? Maybe you've got a great marriage. Maybe you didn't have a great marriage. Maybe you want to be. This is what the picture of a great marriage is like. One man, one woman, together, for life, till death, do us part. They oath themselves to one another. They make a covenant relationship to one another. They say vows to one another. You know where that all goes back to? Chesed. It's the model God gives for his people. With himself. It's saying here we are. I'm not going anywhere. I'm for you and with you. And I love you. And I always will. Prayer is an act situated in this lively relationship of mutuality. We're on a relational teeter-totter that goes back and forth in the natural rhythms of God's grace and mercy and understanding and trust in sickness and in health. For richer, for poorer. Till death do us part. That's what God's saying. And that's what Solomon's praying. In Solomon's prayer, the generosity of God, it's voiced there in verse 13. I give you also what I've not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. The un the uncompromising requirement of covenantal engagement follows in the next verse, verse 14. And if you'll walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I'll lengthen your days. Friends, those two can't be separated. It's the teeter-totter. The two sides of the teeter-totter. 
If we take only the generosity of God, we destroy the context for a viable communion with God. If we take only the uncompromising requirements, we miss the readiness of God to give abundantly more beyond what we ever could ask or imagine. Friends, mature prayer is the capacity to enter the dream. This dream communion with God who gives and who summons to get on the teeter-totter of prayer that allows both to go up and down with push-offs of engagement and enjoyment in the relationship. And every time we awaken from such a moment, and every time we leave God's playground of prayer, we are propelled then to act from the generosity of the God that attests to the wonder of the Creator and His creation. And we can respond like Solomon does in verse 15, and we're done. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And then he came to Jerusalem, and what did he do? He stood. Would you stand if you're able to right where you're at? Just right where you're at. In your living rooms, at home, wherever you are, would you stand right where you're at? Just like Solomon did. He stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. He offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings, and he made a feast for all his servants. In other words, he worshiped God fully with all that was within him, as much as it was in his capacity to do so. And may we do the same. And may we ask and pray for wisdom. And may we obey God's word with joyful and intentional obedience. And thus position our lives to continue to receive more. Because we've been faithful in what he's already said to do. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Feel free to distribute this recording. But please, do not sell or alter it in any way. For more information about Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, please visit our website at arapahoeroad.org. Arapahoe Road Baptist Church is located at 2256 Arapahoe Road in Garland, Texas, with Sunday morning worship service at 10.45am. We hope you'll join us this week.